Well, hi church, and welcome to week four of our Abide campaign. It's a word we've been camping around now for a while, and if you are a regular here at LCF, you will know we've recently reformed and reshaped our whole prayer ministry around this word. And it's with this in mind that last week I started a mini-series in this campaign simply titled The Toolbox of Prayer. And this title stemmed from a phrase I heard many years ago of a youth conference. The youth pastor stood on the platform that evening was talking about prayer and he said this, Prayer is a great tool of faith. Prayer is a great tool of faith. Now many years on actually developing a love for prayer myself, although I understand the sentiment of what he was trying to communicate there, I don't think the phraseology was all that helpful. Because in saying that prayer was a tool of faith, he boxed it in as a very one-dimensional thing, namely closing your eyes, bowing your head and folding your hands. This is what 99% of us think of when we hear the word prayer. I believe this does prayer a disservice though because more often than not, prayer should be seen more as a toolbox than a tool. It is a box full of many different tools to do specific jobs really, really well. And last week we dove into the toolbox, we pulled out the tape measure and we began to look at a way to pray called the prayer of examine. And I know some of you have been trying that over this past seven days and I hope you have found it really, really helpful. If you missed last week, of course, don't worry. Today will still make complete sense. You can go back afterwards and find it on YouTube or on our Facebook or our website. But today I'm going to dive straight back into our toolbox and pull out another tool. And the tool I want to pull out today is really a very, very simple one. And whether you see yourself as DIY centric or completely useless at DIY, the tool I want to look at is the paintbrush the good old-fashioned paintbrush. Now, I am sure you, like me, have been to B&Q or Homebase, and you've stood in front of that massive wall of colour, looking at all the different shades of blues and greens and reds, imagining as you close your eyes the room you're going to decorate, whether it be a bathroom, a lounge, a living room, a dining room. And what a paintbrush and a lick of paint does, it has the inherent ability to completely change an atmosphere and an ambience of a place. And so it is with creative prayer. This is what our paintbrush is representing. You see, so often, as I said, we see prayer as just closing your eyes and bowing your head. But in looking at creative prayer, this explodes open the doors of possibility in how we pray. And I almost feel like I'm preaching to the converted here at LCF. Just over 12 months ago, Becky and I became your pastors here. And one of the first things that we knew walking in these doors was that this was a house of the creative and the 12 months I've been here I think that even more that God has ordained LCF to be a house of the creative through our worship our music through our artists through our poetry through all the different people that make LCF LCF Now, to start this message, as I sat down to Penny, I went to Google because I wanted to see how special art is to us as humans. And I did this by a really simple Google search. I googled the most expensive piece of art sold last year in 2020, remembering it was a global pandemic year, a year with loads of job loss and recession. And this is what Google fired back at me. Francis Bacon's triptych. Three paintings sold as one. And someone, somewhere, paid 84 and a half 
million dollars for these paintings. As I said, in a year of global pandemic, job loss and recession, $84.5 million went to buy these paintings. What does this tell us? This tells us that, that someone somewhere was touched so deeply at their creative core when they saw this piece of art that they would do anything to get it. And I think even for the most stoic of us, we have had times when the creative has just invaded our lives. It might even have been in this building in a worship set. As you've stood and you're singing along to the worship team, suddenly you may have had an instance like I have where the Holy Spirit has just rocked like a tidal wave into your life and made you overcome with emotion. Tears pricking the back of your eyes and then following falling down your cheeks just out of nowhere. I believe God's presence is so manifestly strong in moments of the creative. And more than that, I believe there's something inherently spiritual about the creative. So much so it is in our spiritual DNA. And let me try and prove this from scripture. And I'm going to do what Mary Poppins told us to do, which is to go back to the very beginning because it's a very good place to start. And the very beginning for us as Bible-believing Christians is Genesis 1, where we see this amazing Hebrew poem about the creation of the universe and God is at its centre as the creator. We see God breathing out galaxies and starscapes, the Milky Way. We see him creating and forming the the world that was formless and, uh, and void and he breathes planets into existence and and hills and valleys and oceans and then he goes further than that and he populates the oceans with fish and the hills and the valleys with animals and then he gets to his crowning moment of creation creating humanity and we find these verses in Genesis 1 26 to 27 let me read them to you then God said really important let us make mankind in our image in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. Wow, I don't want you to miss this because this is really important. Remember, God is the ultimate creator, created everything from nothing. And in creating us, the Bible tells us he put his DNA, his fingerprint in our spirit. We carry something of the creator within us. And we see this looking at our own world right here in 2020. As you look around your living room or you go out onto your street, you see these amazing inventions that humanity have created over decades, centuries and millennia. These amazing architectural buildings, TVs, mirrors, art, things that help you function well and also things for beauty. You see, I use this phrase here, it is inherently spiritual to be creative and it is literally in our spiritual DNA. I want to define DNA like this. It's a distinct natural attributes and I believe God put some of his distinct natural attributes in us as men and women because as we look at the animal kingdom they also create you think straight at the top of my head birds in trees create nests beavers in rivers create dams humans though go beyond that you see humans don't just create for functionality humans also create like God for beauty And in Genesis 1, God doesn't need to create the universe. God doesn't need to create the world. He does it for his pleasure and he looks at it and said it was good. 
Have you ever thought about that? That the creativeness that God instilled in the earth, he also instilled in you. Of course, as the created beings, we as humans have boundaries and limits to our creativity. We can't speak things and then come into being. We can't speak a car and it come into being. What we can do, though, is picture that thing in our mind, use our hands and create. This is the gift that God has given to creativity. Now, going back to the 1960s, there was a very famous professor, a psychobiologist, a doctor who was actually a Nobel Prize winner called Roger W. Sperry. And he came up with this theory that you are probably familiar with as it's become common in teaching, that the brain has two hemispheres and each hemisphere, which means each side, does certain functions. So for example, when he talks about the left side of your brain or the left hemisphere, this part of the brain lights up when we do logical things, when we thinking of facts and equations, mathematics and science. This all lights up over here in our left brain. However, when we start to get creative, what we're talking about today, when we think of art and poetry and music, right over here, our right brain lights up and this is where this is all functioned from. And Sperry tells us that each and every one of us has a natural proclivity towards either being left-brained or right-brained. And there's no real uh, formula for why this happens. Even in the same families with siblings, there could be one sibling who is far more left-brained and one sibling who is far more right-brained. And what's really, really important is to say that left-brain isn't better than right-brain and right-brain isn't better than left brain. They are just different. But when we look at our world, our society and our culture, for the most part here in the West, we are conditioned to be far more left-brained with everything. By that, I mean we are told that to be left-brained is better than to be right-brained. Well, why is this? It's a fascinating TED Talk done back in 2006 by this man, Sir Ken Robinson, a former teacher and lecturer. And if you haven't listened to this or watched this before, I'd really implore you to go and watch it this week because it does far more than just talk about schools killing creativity. It actually gives us a window into our makeup and our conditioning over here in the West. But in this amazing TED talk, which is titled, Do Schools Kill Creativity? Sir Ken Robinson makes the case that we place far more value and emphasis on the left thinking side of the brain rather than the right. And he explains this right from our education system. If you can think back when you were at school, however long ago that was, there was probably a hierarchy of subjects, whether that was in the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, or even the 20s as in the 2020s, they are probably exactly the same. You have maths, English, science and languages at the top. And then after that, you have your music, your art, your dance, your drama and your sport. 
Now, why is maths, English, science and languages propped up to be better than all the creative subjects? Well, Ken Robinson said it was in the 19th century that these things came to prominence because it was the 19th century where schools started to formalise and require attendance of all children globally. So before that, schooling and university was usually for elite few or those who could afford it. But in the West, as we came into the 19th century, education systems started to formalise and more and more children were being educated. Of course, being the 19th century, this happened at the same time as the Industrial Revolution, where industry was just rocketing. Now, being from Birmingham, industry was a massive thing. Where I am from, we still see the old factories around in Birmingham where so much has happened. And of course, Luton with the hat trade, that was the trade here. And in the Industrial Revolution, all the things required to get a job after school were things like the maths, languages and the sciences. Music, art, dance, drama and sport, that all started to play second fiddle. Now, of course, if you remember a few centuries before, we had this amazing thing in Europe called the Renaissance. And the Renaissance was the rediscovery of the arts, of all these right brain things, music, art, dance, drama and sport. If you think back to the ancient cultures who were absolutely fascinating, by the way, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Romans, these cultures, these amazing civilizations were far more cultured than we realize. And they placed heavy emphasis on right brain activities. And then coming into the dark ages, all of these things started to be suppressed and hidden away and shut away until the Renaissance where they found their light again. And of course, as I said, coming then into the Industrial Revolution, again they started to play second fiddle as maths, English, the sciences started to take prominence. And I want to say this, as we start to look at creativity and imagination in prayer, because we have been so conditioned culturally to measure our maturity against our imagination, we fear using our imagination and creativity in faith. And when I talk about creativity in faith, what I'm talking about is how you pray through the creativeness. It's not so much closing your eyes, bowing your head and folding your hands. It's about using things like art and poetry and dance to express something that is within us in worship to God. We looked last week at Romans 12.1, which tells us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And so often in the creative, when we find that place of just awestruck worship before God, those who have a natural proclivity towards the arts do this amazingly. And actually, when we look at the scripture, Jesus told us to use our imagination. In Matthew 18, when the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest and who's going to be able to get into the kingdom of heaven, Jesus comes in and says, guys, chill out. I will tell you who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. I will tell you how you can get into heaven. And he stops, he settles them down, he sits them down and he looks around. And in the far distance, he sees a little boy and he beckons him to come over. The little boy runs over with a big smile on his face, awestruck seeing this amazing rabbi that everyone has talked about. Jesus sat him down next to him. He looked at his disciples and he said, look, lads, let me teach you a lesson. If you want to be great, if you want to get into the kingdom of heaven, you need to be like this. What he was saying is you need to have a childlike faith. 
You need to have that, that wondrous, awestruck look about you. When you think of imagination, this is so well, I think, emphasised and expressed through children. Having two little boys at the minute and a baby girl, my two boys just have the most incredible imagination. You will remember being a child, the absolute joy of your parents getting a big delivery that came in a cardboard box. Because you didn't see a cardboard box, you saw a train or a spaceship or a mansion. I remember with my brothers having hours and hours of fun with a cardboard box. I think this is what Jesus was trying to express. He's like, lads, stop arguing about who's going to be the best. What I want you to do is to get that awestruck imagination. Let's have that that childlike faith about us that will just see the world through bright shining eyes and what Jesus didn't say he didn't say be childish he said be childlike and there's a subtle difference in the spelling but a massive difference in the outworking let's define it like this when I think of these two words these are some of the adjectives that come to my mind when I think of childlike the word wonder awestruck adventurous and imaginative comes to the fore and thinking about some of our older people in LCF naming no Jerry's and Marks I think childlike when I think of them they're just so fun and just so electric my kids absolutely love them and I love what they express through their faith using that childlikeness childish though as I said although just a subtle change in the spelling I would define like this whiny spoilt entitled, immature. Now we've all met children like this, haven't we? But I believe we've also met a lot of adults like this as well. When Jesus is telling us to be childlike and to recapture that wonder and that imagination, he's not telling us to be whiny, spoiled, entitled and immature. Actually, this picture is the disciples who are arguing about who's going to be the greatest. In calling over the child, he reset that whole uh, approach to what it means to have childlike faith. I think another reason why we are almost scared and almost hesitant to engage our imagination in our worship and in our prayer life, expressing our love for Jesus through, whether it be, as I say, dance, poetry, calligraphy, art, is because so often we have seen the abuse of it. And here at LCF, we are in Ealing Pentecostal Church. And if you've been to Pentecostal churches before, some of them can really take hold of imagination and go the full mile. And of course, having the internet now, I'm sure you, like me, have seen some horror stories of church services that just look absolutely crazy. It's like imagination gone wild. So let me try and look at two extremes of faith. I want to look at extreme imagination, but I believe there's also another extreme we can go to that completely disregards imagination. So this is a graph I've tried to draw up to help us understand this. On one side, as I say, we have extreme imagination. And another word for that, I would say, is fanaticism, where everything, as I said, just gets a little bit balmy and a little bit crazy. On the other end of the spectrum, though, we have extreme intellect that absolutely, as I said, disregards imagination completely. I would call this, in a word, religiosity. And when we're talking about creative prayer and creative worship, I don't believe creative prayer is far more on the imagination side. And I don't believe creative prayer is over on the intellectual side. I believe it sits bang in the middle of intellect and imagination. 
So let's just take a moment to look at extreme imagination. Extreme imagination turns into fanaticism when there are no boundaries to it. Let me try and unpack and explain that a little bit. Imagination is absolutely phenomenal within boundaries. So God, as the creator, we looked at Genesis 1, breathing starscapes, galaxies, planets into being, trees, oceans, valleys, hills, planets. Even God, who is not bound by anything, put boundary in creation. He put a boundary called night and day. He put boundaries in the tides. He put boundaries in the seasons. Why did he do this? Because he knew that life wouldn't be sustained if it didn't have boundaries. And it's exactly the same when it comes to our imagination. There's boundaries all around creativity. Boundaries aren't there to bind us. Boundaries are there to have expression come through, I think, in its best form. You think of every piece of music that has ever been scored in whatever genre. Jazz, funk, classical, reggae, every single piece of music you have ever heard is bound within 12 notes. That doesn't stop creativity, it doesn't stem creativity, it helps express it. Boundaries aren't there to to hinder us, they are there, I believe, to have life and life to its fullest. And now on the other end of the spectrum, we have extreme intellect. And I think extreme intellect can be even more dangerous because it is far harder to spot and it is far more culturally approved than extreme imagination. You see, when things start to get a little bit out of hand, culturally we know, hang on, we are gonna back off a little bit, shut us down, move away. When there's extreme intellect, we don't back off though, we applaud it. But extreme intellect closes the door completely to the creative. And I believe God works magnificently through the creative. As I said, God is the creator. You see, when we get too religious about things, we just get so cold to everything. When everything is just black and white and there's no room for anything else, we are putting unhealthy boundaries then on, I believe, what God uh, sometimes wants to do within our life. Saying creative prayer sits in the middle of this. Here's a great example. David, King David in the Bible and his psalm book. We know it as the worship book of the Bible. 150 chapters or 150 psalms sitting right in the middle of the Bible. This is what creative prayer looks like. There's a measure of intellect there. You can see David is a clever, clever man. But there's also heaps and heaps of imagination. And when we're talking about intellect and creativity, there's one man in the Bible I would love to draw your attention to. We can find five verses about him in Exodus 31. Let me read this to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for working gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Can you see the intellectual language there? and the creative language. There's extreme intellect, there's extreme imagination, but it cancels itself out and sits then right in the middle. Here's the intellect language. Wisdom, understanding, 
knowledge. It has been thought through. It is intricate. He is measured. There is boundary around it. And of course, here's all the art language, the imagination language, artistic designs, working gold, silver and bronze, cutting and setting stones, working in wood and engaging in all kinds of crafts. You see, creative prayer isn't leaving our intellect at the door, it is learning how to express it. And I love that. There are so many people in LCF that I can point to who do this so well, who use their gift in the creative to worship Jesus. To name but a few every single week behind the scenes, John Middleton, Callum Randall, Luke Hilliard are working away on our services, piecing together all artistic designs, heaped with a load of skill to do it. I don't know how Joel, Callum and Luke do what they do. Joel with all the audio edits, it's Callum and Luke with all the video edits. It looks absolutely beautiful. It is artistic, but goodness me, does it take some skill? It absolutely does. And then, of course, not to mention our worship team who play their instruments and sing so amazingly. Hours and hours and hours of practice to hone their skill. There's the intellect expressed through creative worship. You think of Lizzie with her poetry, sitting and crafting words as a wordsmith to express something that just sits right down deep in our creative core. And I think the danger is, is when we start to see things that we're unfamiliar with, conditioned to act in a left brain way in a left brain world, we start to put the shutters down and back away from it. Not because we don't think God isn't working in it, because we haven't seen it before, we're just unsure about it. And I spoke a few months ago about not allowing preferences to become principles that will rob you of the presence of God. And that line is so important. So often in my own life, I have been guilty of shutting something away because it's not been my preference. I have held so tightly to what I know and what I like. I believe I have had moments where I have been robbed from a presence moment with God. So just because we don't understand something personally, it doesn't mean that God is not in something. Let me say that again. Just because we don't personally understand something, it doesn't mean that God is not in something. I would really implore you this week to go into your prayer time, your devotional time, whatever that looks like, with an open mind and ask God if there is a new creative way he wants to commune with you. You see, last week we looked at the prayer of examine and we had a formula of how to go about that prayer of examine. We had the four R's, if you remember it. When we are talking about creative prayer, it is much harder to give a formula because there are so many different facets. So when you may ask me, well, Mike, how do I do this? My answer would be, well, however you see fit. It is not about formula here, it is about forming something. And uh, I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what you're gifted in. Maybe you're not artistic at all, but you just love to get out for a walk in nature. Why don't you go and find a trail close to your home, take your headphones out, listen to what's happening around you and just ask God to speak. I know at our house, Becky, my wife, if you don't know Becky, one of the other pastors here, she has been practicing calligraphy, writing verses of scripture in her notebook with a calligraphy pen. It's artistic and it's beautiful. And as she's doing it, she's meditating on scripture. 
Maybe you've always just loved acting. You think of Dave Connor here in the drama team. They express the word of God through drama. Why don't you record something and start a YouTube channel? Maybe you just need to take up journaling or grab a good old fashioned sketchbook and a pencil and start drawing away what you think God is speaking to you. Let's mix up our prayer times and our devotional times. Absolutely. Let's look at new ways of doing things. Let's look at new ways of meeting with God. And what I would love you to do, LCF, and guests of LCF, if you're watching this week, if you take me up on this offer, let's call it your homework this week, to try something new creatively, I would absolutely love to see a picture of that, whether it be a walk, artwork, calligraphy, poetry, dance, whatever it looks like, please send us a picture. You can do it on Instagram, lcf.church, on Facebook, LCF Luton, or by email, admin at LCF. And as we go into our week, church, please be really open-minded about the creative. I love this sense of prayer, that actually prayer isn't just closing your eyes, bowing your head and folding your, your hands. Prayer is a childlike adventure. It is wondrous. It is about finding the awe of the Father in your everyday, in your moments of solitude, just meeting with God and asking him to show you a picture or some poetry or some words that you can ruminate on. So we're going to hand over right now to our worship team. Get into a posture of worship as you do that. Let's start our creativity now. I know it's weird being at home. I know it's much easier to worship in a big congregational setting. But don't be held back in your home worshipping Jesus. And after that, I'm going to jump back on as we close our service. Thank you so much, church.